0: inside the game of politics with pat mccrory is presented by felix savannas mercedes-benz of south charlotte charlotte's premier mercedes-benz dealer and the carolina's number one volume sales leader over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available visit MBCharlotte.com. as a governor
1: mayor businessman i know the game
0: been played by the game,
1: and now we are exposing the game for you.
0: This is Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. Chris
1: Christie is a former federal prosecutor and political commentator who served as the 55th governor of New Jersey from 2010 to 2018. He's a dynamic individual who almost ran for president, and many say he could have beaten Barack Obama if he had decided to take that leap of faith. But he said he wasn't ready, and he wanted to continue to be governor of New Jersey. Since his fulfilling of two terms as governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie now serves as an ABC commentator, political analyst, a successful book author, and also a dynamic figure in American politics. It's our honor to have Chris Christie as our guest. Thanks so much for being on the show.
2: It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. We only have one question. One question. The question is, give me an example of the good, the bad, and the outrageous or funny in politics. And let's first start out with the good of politics, something that you've personally been involved with.
2: Well, I I will tell you, Pat, one of the things that shows the good um, that politics can do um, is the work that I was lucky enough to be involved in in New Jersey regarding the opioid crisis. And um, we got... An enormous group together of people, all who are former recovering addicts, Um, and they put together a series of TV commercials telling their stories that the state put on the air, Um, the bad of their stories about the bottom when they reached bottom, and then how they've made their way to recovery and restored the good in their lives, restored the relationships with their families, restored their careers, restored their, their relationships with their friends. And we, we ran $40 million worth of these TV ads in my last year as governor um, to try to show people that there was light at the end of the tunnel um, when they were in the midst of addiction. And um, it made such an enormous difference. Um, we got 13 times the calls when these ads were on to our help hotline to get people into treatment than we did before. And it was because of the courage of the people who were willing to come forward And tell some brutally honest, hard stories. And only, I think, government could have put all that together. um, And politics could have put all that together. um, And gotten it up on the air. um, And given people hope. And so that's, that's something I think that was really good. That I know has led to saving lives.
1: You know, during my first State of the Union speech, or State of the State speech as governor, I brought up the drug issue as my number one issue. The drug and addiction and mental health issue. And when I first brought it up, it's like the state legislature, I got like three claps. You know, it wasn't the ovation that I would get on any of the big social issues or financial or education issues. It was literally, I was shocked at how low level the response is, but it looks like the country is finally waking up to this horrible, costly and deadly issue. What's taken so long on this issue?
2: You know, Pat, because there's such, stigma attached to it. and such shame attached to it that people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to admit that they have the problem inside their family or inside their business or 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 any of that. You know, it's seventy two thousand people died in 2018 from drug overdose in the United States. That's more than car accidents and gun violence combined in 2018. And so I think what finally woke people up are all the funerals. Wow. All of the unnecessary funerals of people at every age range in our society, Pat. It's not just young people. Um, you have the elderly who have issues with pain, who have gotten addicted to opioids and taken their own lives. It's, it's an awful, ugly thing. And, and it was, you know, the good that came out of it for me was after all that activity that I was doing in our state, changing laws and really trying to make an impact. You know, the president made me the chairman of his commission on, on the opioid crisis. And we were able to put together a report that served as the basis for over 60 bills that were passed last summer by Congress and signed into law last fall by the president. Um, and I, and I, you know, so it's, there's been so much good that has come out of our initial decision to really go public and focus on this. It got a lot of attention, and I know that both not only in New Jersey— But around the country, it's going to have saved lives.
1: Real quick, what was your personal wake-up call? Did you have a wake-up call yourself?
2: I did, Pat, a really personal one. Um, One of my best friends in law school um, was part of a very small group that I hung around with in law school. Um, He was the first one to be made partner. He was an editor on the Law Review. Um, He was an incredibly bright guy and a a good athlete. He hurt his back while running. Um, and was prescribed. He was in the middle of a trial, so he didn't have time for treatment. So they just gave him—they uh, gave him Percocet to uh, deal with the pain. Yeah. And he wound up getting addicted, Pat. And this is a guy who had everything going in life: married to a beautiful doctor, three beautiful daughters, um, incredible success as a lawyer. Um, Ten years from that first injury, they found him dead in a motel room. Uh, all by himself after his wife had divorced him. The court had barred him from seeing his children. He had lost his license to practice law. He had lost his driver's license, and they found him in a cheap motel room with an empty bottle of Percocet and an empty quart of vodka at 53 years old.
1: It doesn't discriminate, does it?
2: It does not. And I'll tell you, by every definition of success that we have in our society, this guy was a success, and he was laying dead in that hotel room. And I was governor. And I went to his funeral and sat there and watched his three daughters sobbing at the loss of their father. And I thought to myself, there's got to be more I can do. And that was my wake up call, Pat.
1: Wow. What a story. All right. Let's talk about the bad of politics. Boy, you've been in presidential campaigns. You've been in tough New Jersey politics. You've been a U.S. attorney. I mean, you've seen it all. Tell us something that we don't know about the bad of politics.
2: You know, Patrick, there's, there's a number of examples, unfortunately, that we've all had to go through when we've had um, when we have had the positions that you and I both had as governor of major states in our in our country. I, I, I will tell you this. I, I think the bad of politics that I've seen is something that everybody in America knows I went through. Um, and and, you know, it was when people who you entrust with power that you've been given by the people abuse that power, and, and do something wrong. And, and in a whole George Washington Bridge scandal, um, to have three people who you know I had given positions to over time, um, two at an independent authority, and one in, in my office, who have come up with such a ridiculous scheme to, to realign the lanes at the George Washington Bridge, supposedly to punish somebody who hadn't endorsed me for re-election, a re-election that I was winning by 30 points, Um, And for those people to do what they did is such an extraordinary breach of trust. And what you learn as governor is that when you have 60,000 people working for you, like I did, you know, it's a scary thing that people will abuse that power. And you're going to get you're going to be held accountable for it. And it it is one of the really bad things that I saw in politics uh, because I knew nothing about it, had nothing to do with it yet. Um, I was the person that was most severely impacted by it in so many ways. And so, you know, it's it's the part of politics that's really ugly. People who get drunk even on a little bit of power and authority that's not even their own, that's derivative of the person who ran and won and got the trust of the people. Um, that was clearly the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me in politics and a real example of, the ugliness that politics can 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 really wreak on someone uh when a few really misguided folks get drunk on a small amount of power
1: power i mean i had the same thing not the same degree but in my own administration i had one or two people that got drunk with power and i had to fire them and it was just such a shock to me that they swallowed the kool-aid so quickly and and that i was naïve and not seeing it to begin with, that other people had to tell me about it because I tended to be trust very trustworthy. Did you find that to be your weakness, maybe, that you just assumed trust based upon people's qualifications?
2: Absolutely, Pat. You know, I felt like we're all on the same team. We're all rowing in the same direction, and no one would ever do anything to tip that boat over. Um, and I was wrong. And I think that – we do, and you know, as governors too, we get shielded from things, yeah, you know uh, our, our upper staff tries to handle things and keep things away from us that they don't want to bother us yeah. with, and, and, yeah. at, and at times that's a service, but at other times it's a disservice to us because if we didn't know about those things, we might make decisions a lot sooner on people who are tending towards the bad apple category. But you know, uh, listen, in in all my eight years, those are the only three people. Whoever you know did anything like that, Um, and you know, so in one way, you know, it means you made a lot of really good choices of the people you surrounded yourself with. But, but unfortunately, in today's media society, um, you're only defined by the bad, not by the good.
1: So, real quick, about what is your lesson learned that you could give to President Trump? You're a major advisor to President Trump. You're a very direct person. I had some lessons learned that I tried to communicate to future leaders. What's the lesson learned that you could give to President Trump or to anybody who might be president or a future governor on to protect yourself from that happening again, based upon your own experience? Because Trump's uh, I, I have think, Trump's dealing with the same problem with a few people, few people. Few people.
2: Lot of Few people going to jail, right? And right. I think you know? Listen, I think the biggest lesson I could give people is ask more questions rather than less. Wow. Press people more rather than just taking things at face value sometimes. Even if they come from people that you think you trust, you have an obligation to press them harder. And I've said this to the president any number of times off of my experience with the George Washington Bridge and my experience as a prosecutor. And, you know, it's just clear to me that um, the more questions that are asked, the better position you're in to make a, a good judgment as a leader. And so uh, that's what I've said to the president before. That's been my advice and it remains my advice. And,
1: and by the way, I've had an example where I asked the question and I went, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Then you got to ask the follow-up questions. I had that's one individual, exactly right. I had a 32-year-old kid come to my office and just lied to my face, but I didn't realize it until I kept asking questions and he got caught in his own lies. That was the last time he was ever in my office, I might add.
2: Yep, exactly right. And that's, and, and I think, you know, people, I think, have a hard time understanding, um, you know, Pat, if they never have had the jobs that we've had, um, the, the volume of decisions yeah. and issues that are crossing your desk all the time. And you can't pay, um, you know, 100 percent attention to every one of them. You know, it's just physically impossible. And so you rely on people um, to be able to, uh, you know, give you. Um, the the benefit of their wisdom and, and their good judgment. And if they ever let you down, um, you know, they pay a price, but you pay a much bigger one.
1: And not just you, but your entire family pays a price. And that's the uh, that's difficulty good. of it. The family goes down with us. As my wife used to say, hey, I didn't volunteer. This wasn't my volunteer job. This was your volunteer job. <laughs> it's darn
2: right. You know, my wife, whenever I, would, whenever I used to complain about it, uh, something going on at the office, Mary Pat would look at me and say, "Hey, buddy, nobody put a gun to your head." You know, um, you know and it's so, exactly so it what my like wife lives, told me. What the hell are right? you
1: bitching about?
2: That's exactly right. So you know, we need those people in our lives to remind us frequently. You know, one about, lesson I uh, learned,
1: my wife yeah. would warn me about certain people, and I'd go, "Ah, oh, you just don't see it." And guess what? I think in a hundred percent of the people she warned me about, uh, she was right. <laughs> yep.
2: Yep. It's it's really annoying, isn't it? Yeah,
1: no <laughs> doubt about it. Okay, one more. What's what's an outrageous or funny example of politics? We do hear a lot about the bad. And I don't want to dwell on that. You gave a great example of the good. What about the outrageous or funny? You've been around a lot of things at the White House, in a governor, U.S. attorney. Oh. I imagine you have some wild stories.
2: Uh, I I do, and you know, it's it's hard. It's hard, Pat, to 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 you know try to pick one best one but um but what i'll tell you is when i was u.s attorney we were doing an investigation um into um uh folks at the local the municipal level who were getting paid off in return for um municipal building permits to allow people to do development in their towns and there was one guy um who was a mayor of a of a fairly good sized town probably the tenth largest municipality in the state um, who we suspected of um, of being participating in this and so uh, we went a guy uh, who was an undercover FBI agent went in as a developer um, and started to ask questions and one thing led to another we had he, the, the mayor had made it clear that he was willing to be to be bribed in order to give get get this uh, permit. So he met with him. It's like, you can't make this up, right? He met with him at an Applebee's. Um, and and the, the FBI agent was wearing a wire and a, and a, and a, ca- and a hidden camera in his lapel. And he handed over an envelope to the guy at the Applebee's while it's being filmed um, with $5,000 of cash in, a, in an envelope. And then the FBI agent says to the mayor, he said, Aren't you ever worried? I mean, we're, we're sitting out here in a public restaurant. I mean, aren't you ever worried that you're going to get caught? And the mayor said, No, 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 I don't worry about that at all. He said, I used to be in law enforcement. I could smell a cop from a mile away.
1: <laughs> hey, I'll never forget you, Chris Christie. You came to North Carolina to campaign for me. And here, a New Jersey mayor with a New Jersey accident. And you came to a farmer's rally for me in front, mid of middle of tobacco country. And yep. I'll, I'll uh, Do you remember that outside of Johnson County, outside of Wake County I area? I sure do. And,
2: uh, it, it, it was an amazing event with bales of tobacco all around us and a whole huge room full of, of, of farmers.
1: And you sucked the oxygen out of that room. You took control of that stage. And one lesson I've learned is never share a stage with Chris Christie.
2: just step aside
1: just step aside because you had those farmers in the palm of your hand
2: it was listen it was a great event um leading up to a great election for you and you'll remember that
1: that literally was the last thing i did before going home for hurricane sandy i remember and that's when you met with president obama and and so forth yeah yep
2: so, I mean, that was the last political event I was able to be involved in in that really contentious election year because two days later, Hurricane Sandy hit my state and destroyed 365,000 homes in 24 hours.
1: Um, and how and so, ironic that it, uh, three weeks before my election, I had our largest hurricane, Hurricane Matthew, and I actually watched how you handled your hurricane and it was a role model on how to handle hurricanes. My, my problem was I was in the middle of a gubernatorial election, and I had to suspend everything. Like, you suspended campaigning for me and got home real quick. Man, yep. I had to suspend everything in my campaign. I had 28 people die, sadly, in our hurricane, all from drowning. And uh, yep. But you were a great role model in how to deal well, with Well, thank that. you.
2: Well, thank you. And listen, I, I, uh, I, I will tell you that that tobacco farm rally... <laughs> was one of my great memories from the 2012 campaign because those those farmers and, and what it showed me from sitting and, and watching them interact with me that day was what genuinely good people um, uh, those folks were. Um, here is, like you said, this New Jersey governor with the New Jersey accent coming down to farm country in North Carolina, and when they listened to my message, they welcomed me. Despite they did. You know the the cultural difference between the two states. They really welcomed me, and it just shows you what warm and open hearted people uh, they are.
1: I never, I didn't know what to anticipate, but I think you took probably a thousand pictures that day with the farmers of North Carolina, <laughs> and you fit right in. And I thought it was a good, good kind of sign of you being a potential presidential candidate. When I watched that, I said, "Man, this guy is going to be president of the United States," and I still wish you were. But I'm glad too, also buddy. that I'm glad you're supporting President Trump and trying to give him guidance. And uh, as we end, we got to both know President Trump, the, uh, both his weaknesses and his strengths. And uh, let's continue to help our president. And And real quick, the name of your book.
2: The name of my book is Let Me Finish. And uh, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's an autobiography, Pat, about my my life and my life in politics. Uh, as a prosecutor, as a, as a governor, as a candidate for president, as the first endorser of Donald Trump for president, and as a mem- chairman of his transition, and ultimately as a, as a friend and advisor to him over the last uh, number of years that he's been in the White House. And so I think people who love politics will get a real inside peek, which is I know what they love to get from you, both on your radio show and on your podcast. So if you like Pat McCrory's radio show and podcast, you like my book,
1: too. By the book, let me finish, and I hope we let you finish telling us the good, the bad, and the outrageous of politics. You're a great public servant, and we haven't seen the last of Chris Christie. We'll also see you every week on uh, This Week with George Stepanopoulos on ABC. And uh, occasionally, I'm on the opposite channel and meet the press. So we're well, in some way still competing to get each other, like we did for business between New Jersey that's right. and North Carolina. And, by the, and we kicked and by your tail, out. I might add well i was just gonna say you know pat um
2: i wish that i would have done a little better in that jobs competition um with north carolina but you guys got a lot of advantages that my democratic legislature would never give me like lower taxes and a more conducive environment that businesses love and that are positive in fact i will tell you something you know uh north carolina as you know under your leadership did an extraordinary job in job creation not only Building up the businesses that were already there, but taking businesses from other states. Well, I hope I'm I'm, I'm concerned.
1: I agree. And I I hate your successors reversing some of your great success. And sadly, mine is too. But we haven't seen the last of Chris. Chris, it's an honor to be your friend. And thanks for your public service.
2: Uh, Pat, it's great to be on the podcast and talk about um, uh, politics. And, you know, we always have fun doing it. So thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. To contact the show, email Show at wbt.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT or at WBT on radio.com. Monday.